Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. So uh, I think traditional view, as you said, is to just think that just splitting between asset classes or inside an asset class, like inside the securities between industry groups, is it's enough to diversify. But as we see, even nowadays with all this happening in the world, companies are very interconnected. So you cannot say that everyone in mining will do one way and everyone in energy will do a different way and they are not connected. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. How can you know if your portfolio is properly diversified? What's correlation and how can this affect your investments? Joining me today to explain is Dr. Laura Rusu. Hello, Laura. Hello, Phil. Dr. Laura Rusu is the founder and CEO of Lensel, a fintech that aims to democratise access to financial and non-financial corporate performance information, helping people to make better decisions with the Diversiview app. Before we get started, can we talk about your background? You're from Romania, and when you were young, you weren't expected to have any kind of career whatsoever. Yeah, so uh, I wouldn't put it really like that. How would you put it? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I had a a bit of career in Romania. I worked for seven years for a government department, a forestry department, as an analyst programmer, and then for a small software company before I immigrated to Australia. But when you were growing up as part of your education, because you didn't even have a computer at home when you were learning. Well, yes, I didn't have a computer at home and it was really difficult to access one at university because it was, you know, lack of resources at the time and many students and few computers. So we had to book time, let's say two hours on Monday from 10 to 12 or something like that to go and do the programming and do the assignments and whatever we had to do for university. And to replace that uh, lack of access, we probably had a lot of more theory learning sort of to make up for that. So uh, growing up, yeah, I didn't think I'll get into computer science. I, I love mathematics from I was very young, from year five. My father uh, was an engineer. He's now retired. He loves mathematics as well. And uh, I had a very good mathematics teacher. And sort of both of them instilled this love for mathematics and for logic and for finding sort of solutions to problems. And being at the time a communist country and not having a lot of other sort of entertainment for kids, all of us probably, or most of us, focused a lot of just education, learning, reading, doing a lot of homework from school at home. So... um, Doing that sort of repeatedly, I I got this love for exact sciences. (laughs) So you're bringing mathematics and finance together, but I'm assuming in a communist country, there wasn't a lot of finance to talk about at the time. At that time, no, not at that time, no. So the finance part came really a few years ago here while I was working in in, um, uh, IBM Research and I was involved in some project around financial services and AI for financial services from... um, 
you know, f- uh, fraud detection up to death ratings and things like that, all sorts of aspects where you can apply data mining and later AI and so on. So you had no interest in finance prior to that uh, project? Before uh, IBM, I worked in uh, computer share technology services, and I also worked in, uh, it was a project about uh, portfolio management uh, solution. Trust Architect was called at the time, so they were dealing with, uh, it was an application for uh, investment managers who had trust products. So what was the first inkling that happened to you where you started thinking about how you can apply your mathematical knowledge with finance? So... As I said, I worked in all these projects, so it sort of combined the work aspect with my sort of personal findings. At work, I, I realized that there is a lot of data and there is a lot of very good technology which you can apply to get all sorts of insights, even if it was in a totally different project or totally different financial area than portfolio management. But still, the perspective was the same. You have a lot of data, you can analyze it, get insights which you can then use to improve some solution. On my personal side, I as an investor myself, I figured out that I didn't have enough information on the existing platforms. For example, uh, I invested in some shares at some point with my husband and on any platform you could see, you know, share price uh, graphs. You can see a high level diversification on asset classes, but you cannot see more than that. So if you look at share price, you can maybe figure out a bit of volatility by yourself. But there was no way to see the actual diversification of a portfolio. So if I replace, for example, I had five at some point, five industry groups. And I thought maybe with my mathematical or logical sort of inclination, I said, does this mean that if I replace those companies in those five industry stock groups with other companies from the same industry groups, is the same diversification or not? And my my gut feeling was that is not. And that kind of later become... uh, point of sort of uh, research for me and how to can calculate that better. Same, as I said, you could look at share prices and I figure out, you know, like at the time we invested in Afterpay, it was kind of going up and down quite often. You could figure out which one is more volatile than other, but you couldn't figure out how volatile is the entire portfolio. And um, also another angle is each person is different. I realized that my husband maybe has a lower risk tolerance than me. So he was more stressed about things than I was. And probably that comes back to how volatile is the total portfolio and how that matches your personal risk tolerance or expectation. So each person is different. Each portfolio is different. We cannot apply blanket approaches like, for example, I don't agree with a 60-40 approach because it is a blanket approach which doesn't apply to all portfolios. And we have a data, as I said, we have a technology And we can calculate all these indicators and ratios and all these things which can tell us a bit more than just, you know, finger-in-the-air high-level overview. That's quite interesting that you were talking about having a diversified portfolio in your own portfolio and you'd have, I think you said, five different companies across five different sectors? At that time, yeah. Because a lot of people think that if you diversify across sectors, that's going to automatically give you diversification, but you can have more or less diversification depending on which companies you pick in those sectors. Have you got an example of that, how that works? I can maybe provide you with a link which you can include for the audience later. I don't know by heart now because they are real numbers, but looking at different portfolios, I noticed that there is a difference. So even if it's not a big difference between companies from different industry groups, 
there is still some correlation. So while maybe could be you know, 0.5 correlation or 0.6 or 0.7, you may think it does not matter so much. But when you calculate the overall portfolio, depending on the, how much you know weights you have in each, how much percentage in each stock, it may or may not make a difference overall. So yeah, I can prepare an example and maybe share it with you for the audience uh, later. Yeah, that'd be great. Always love to have something to point um, listeners to. So let's go back to some of the basics here. What's your definition of risk? My definition of risk. So risk is very, again, if you go academically, risk is very difficult to define. It's risky to define risk. (laughs) Yes, it's difficult. So it it means something else. If you give someone a number, it's not enough. So it's sort of, it has to be on a scale or it has to be also compared with, as I said, with your own risk tolerance. So probably the risk is how much you you can lose, if you put it very simple. And why risk is sort of matched with volatility in, in terms of stocks and portfolio is because volatility is how much the share price goes up and down. So, of course, when it goes up, everyone is happy. But when it goes down, it means you can lose. And that how much you can lose is the risk of losing some money, more money or all your money. <laughs> so how big is that volatility will show how risky investment can be. And this is why, you know, cash or them deposits or others have sort of almost zero volatility if we sort of ignore the inflation but uh, other stocks or crypto now or some of the new uh, new stocks or you know investments may be very volatile just because there is a, a lot of more let's say interest and also people react much faster to different you know news about that particular investment it's kind of uh, a good example is the Elon Musk tweets about something and people go and buy or sell very quickly. So that means it's very volatile. So if you invested in something like that, you could lose or you could gain a lot. So I'm not myself against taking risks. It's more I'm for taking informed risk. If you know what you're getting into, it's up to you to get into whatever you want, cryptocurrencies or volatile investments or less volatile investments. is just matching what you think you get with what you want. It's also very difficult to ascertain your own level of risk tolerance unless you live through volatility, isn't it? True, true. Yeah, it's very difficult, but there is quite good research. And again, I can share a link from a a university in the US and two professors who did very kind of extensive research on that. And they came up with a sort of questionnaire, uh, 20 questions on different, you know, investment angles and they give you a sort of indication on five-star scale, let's say, where you are in terms of risk tolerance. And it's, it's quite extensive research. It's not just done by someone, you know, who had some knowledge. It's done on thousands of people and by professors in, in finance. So I would, I would suggest you know, people have a look at that and try to see their own risk tolerance level. There's a traditional understanding of diversification and your coming up with something a lot more nuanced. What's the difference between that traditional view of diversification and what you are now looking to offer? So uh, I think traditional view, as you said, is to just think that just splitting between asset classes or inside an asset class, like inside the securities between industry groups, is it's enough to, to diversify. But as we see, even nowadays with all this happening in the world, Companies are very interconnected. So you cannot say that 
everyone in mining will do one way and everyone in energy will do a different way and they are not connected. So the correlations are not between companies in the same industry group. They are they exist between different industry groups. And you don't know unless you sort of, again, go to mathematics and calculate that correlation based on their history, how they move or not together. So I am saying that the current approach is, is good, but it's not enough. It's not sort of saying it's not good. That's the starting point. You start first look at how you can split into maybe international diversification or, uh, like I said, different asset classes or within uh, one asset class, let's say different securities uh, types or industry groups or bonds or whatever else or cryptocurrencies as well, property, what else, cash, you know. So that's a first step. But that when you go into kind of deeper and you have maybe a preference for more securities, listed securities, you need to know how correlated they are. It's not just a bucket of securities and that's enough or a bucket of crypto, and that's enough. Cryptocurrencies also have some correlations between themselves or between themselves and the securities. ETFs, again, many people go for ETFs because it's a good way of diversifying your portfolio. And that's true. Theoretically, at the ETF level, the owners, the people who created the ETF, they look to create a diversified product. But between ETFs, often there is an overlap. And how much the overlap is will impact on how correlated they are. And actually, I, I, we published yesterday a research article with ShareSight. It's on their blog. Again, I can provide the link where we look at the top 20 investor preferences in the first quarter of 2022. I think eight of those 20 were ETFs. And there is a plot there about the correlations between those ETFs. And it's very interesting to see that there is high correlation between like 0.8 or 0.9, very close to one, which means they go together, between some ETFs which you you don't think they go together. (laughs) Again, I don't know example by heart now, but again, I'll provide the link and people can have a look at the diagram. So what I'm saying again is it's good to go to ETF for diversification, but you need to look again at the correlation between ETFs or between ETFs and separate individual stocks. So you get the diversification you want, the deep diversification you want, and it's not just halfway diversification. You mentioned before the 60-40 portfolio, and that's the traditional idea that you have 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. And we've seen recently how poorly bond and bond ETFs and any kind of bond ETFs have been performing. Is... That's something that you can see that there has been some sort of correlation in the past or it hasn't been correlated or is this something that new we're seeing? What I think again, so yeah, bonds have a difficult time now and some securities will have a difficult time again because of everything what happens. Yep. And and traditionally you'd think why you have a 60-40 portfolio is that when stocks are performing badly that the bonds will be holding up, but that doesn't always work. Yeah, the idea, again, was to have a diversification to go up versus going down and keep sort of balanced their sort of optimal portfolio, which will give you the best best return for that sort of uh, level of risk. And uh, what I think is, again, probably it's a very close to the truth, but it cannot be the same approach that 60% bucket of stocks, if it's a very volatile, low return stocks, cannot be the same if it's a bucket of 60% less volatile, high-performing stocks. 
So what I'm saying, you need to look into that 60 bucket, into that 40 bucket, and into how they go together. It's not about correlation between securities and bonds that we know that one goes up, one goes down. It's actually about those individual securities or bonds or bond ETFs or whatever they are inside those two buckets. So we can argue forever if it's 60-40 is better than 70-30, unless you do the mathematics and see exactly where it should be to get to the optimal. And what we did, actually did, was to take the modern portfolio theory from Harry Markowitz, as we know, he got Nobel Prize, so he knows what he's talking about. He says that there is a, an efficient frontier, kind of efficient portfolios or positions where you want to be. One of them is the optimal one, which gives you the best return for the lowest risk at the same time. And it's just a fact that you cannot calculate that by hand. There are millions of positions, millions of possibilities of combining everything in your portfolio. And it's possible that that 60-40, maybe 58-42 or 42-68, whatever combination, again, needs to go to better mathematics and calculate what's that particular composition that sort of weights associated with each security or each bond or each ETF or whatever you have to get that optimal portfolio. It is uh, mathematics behind. We know the equations. We have a data. So we came up with a technology to do that rather than just assuming a general approach like 60-40. It's all about the data with you, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And technology. (laughs) A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So for correlation... Is it correlation risk or correlation? The metric that you use is a scale from zero to one. Is that how it works? So correlation correlations are from minus one to one. One means that two those two stocks, let's say securities or investments could be anything really, not just uh, listed securities. They go together up or down, reacting to some market events. So if something happens, a new crisis or a new legislation or something, they will react the same, exactly the same as one. When they react totally opposite, one goes up, one goes down, it's minus one. And zero means they are independent. There is nothing between them, no correlation at all. So we calculated correlations for all uh, ASX listed securities based on the past 10-year history. And probably most of them fall in a sort of positive correlation, but lower positive correlation. So there is some correlation. They move somehow, not depending on each other, but moving in some way together with some, you know, very few or some of them going up to one or 0.809 over 0.9, meaning that they are strongly correlated. So if you invest in one of them, they will go up together. So you gain, gain twice, let's say, but if they go down, they will go down together as well. It's not just going up, it's going down as well. So the theory, again, from modern portfolio theory from Harry Markowitz, he said that the actual diversification, what you need to look in your portfolio is to find securities or investments that are not correlated, so zero, which is very difficult to find zero correlation, but there is, or negatively correlated. 
like you said, we have a 60-40 security versus bonds. Why days one one goes up, one goes down? So again, we need to calculate all this correlation and look which have good returns. Of course, this, this is what everyone wants, good returns, but at the same time, zero or negative correlation. So whenever something happens, some of your portfolio go up, some down, but overall you you are you know in a good position. And the data that you use is from historical data? Yeah, it's historical share price data. Okay. So tell us a bit more about Diversaview, how it works and what a user coming to the website will find. So we we try to make it as, as you know as easy as possible to use. So when a user will come to Diversaview, which is the diversaview.online, you have an option first to try one analysis for free, just see how it works and then if you want to continue, there is a small fee. So you can just analyze your own portfolio just as a one-off. Yes, if it's of a small one. So it's up to five securities, it's free. So you just go and plug in your securities. If you have more than five and it's a paid analysis, you can upload from CSV as well if you have 20 or more. So we don't do manual entry. You can also specify the weights in your portfolio. If you don't specify the weights, it will assume equal weights because it has to be something. has to have some assumption, yeah. Yeah, but you can specify the weights and it will go and calculate lots of things. First, it will calculate and give you a sort of analysis page. First, it will calculate portfolio level indicators like uh, expected portfolio return, which is an awaited average of individual investments or securities returns. Portfolio volatility, the risk, which I mentioned I couldn't find, so I had to calculate it. It gives you where. That is very complicated to calculate by hand or in Excel. You can do it for two, three, five, if you're very you know, patient for more. But if you have more than 10 securities, it will take you forever to calculate. Then it will give you portfolio beta, which shows how volatile is your portfolio compared to the entire market. And when we say entire market, there are different ways of assuming sort of entire market for beta, we assume it is uh, all odds index. In some other platforms, people assume ASX 200 index, but I think all odds is more suitable, in my opinion. Then it gives you portfolio alpha, which it's an indication is everyone sort of seeking alpha approach. Portfolio alpha which tells you how much more than the return of the entire market you could get. It's expectation, again, it's not a promise, but it's expectation of, of return. And also sharp ratio, which is based on risk and expected return. And again, many investors will know that people expect or want to have a portfolio of sharp ratio greater than one, which means you have at least you know some positive return compared to a market risk-free return for the level of risk you take. So it comes always back to your risk tolerance, the level of risk you want to take for the return you expect. So these are five main indicators. Then you get a very interesting image, a diagram. (laughs) I invited to try one and see. We called it Portfolio Universe. And actually it gives you a subset, because there are millions, but a subset of um, potential positions for your securities. And Probably people don't know, but you can combine, for example, free securities in over 4,800 ways, you know, different percentages, but more than that for sure. And so as your portfolio grows, there are many, many possibilities you can combine them. So we calculate that, again, with technology, we calculate that, we show where is the efficient frontier, so those which are most efficient for the level of risk, and we show where your portfolio is, your combination of weights, if you supplied some. 
Have you got any interesting stories about um, what some users have discovered about their portfolios? Oh, yes, yeah. I mean, we had some feedback as well uh, from a few people who realized that their portfolio was right in the middle of a stack and not as efficient as they thought it is. So again, applying a 60-40 or another very sort of rigid approach might not take you to the right position you want. So you need to know what it is from a risk and return perspective. And then the next step is once you figure out that, you need to think what you want to do. Again, we don't give advice, but using technology to help you to get to the, to the point you want. So before doing that optimization, we have a deep diversification diagram and a diversification rating. As I said, just high-level split across asset classes is not enough. So we show you a diagram with all your securities and correlations between them. And there are some filters on the left where you can maybe filter out all small positives, let's say, and keep, the, let's say, high positive correlation. So you want to see what could be the problem in your portfolio and want to reduce that correlation. Because uh, I didn't mention those correlations, those individual correlations between securities are critical to calculate portfolio volatility. You cannot calculate portfolio volatility without deep uh, sort of individual correlations. So anyone who says that they know the portfolio risk or volatility, but they only have a high-level split between asset classes, it's lying because it's not, it's not possible. It's part of a formula, really, in financial mathematics. So we show you that the diversification view for you to see if you have a zero or negative correlations, so you're happy, or if you have very strong correlation, in which case, again, it's up to you if you want to keep them or not. You may have these strong correlations and your portfolio may have a very good sharp ratio or a good risk-return position, so you want to stay as it is, or you may figure out that you might need to make some changes. It's up to you as a, as a user. And the next section is um, optimization part, where we have four features. One is to analyze with your preferred returns. So in doing all the historical analysis, we calculate an expected return for each security. Over a period of time? We consider three years, past three years, because I think it's long enough to cover, like in our case, a recent case with COVID and everything that happens, and it's short enough to not be many changes, you know, historical changes in the company, which may have changed how that works in you know, operational. So three years, I think it, it's good enough. So we calculate that expected return for each security, and therefore we can calculate that expected return for the portfolio. But some people may not agree with that, and they say, well, based on what I know or what I read, this security may gain up to you know, X percent next year. So when you have this option on our diagram to calculate your preferred returns, so you can keep some of those which are calculated and you can change what you want to change. So you calculate all again without paying again. So all these features are included and it will give you again the diagram and the new position or risk return position based on what your preferred uh, returns are. Another feature is for people who may be more conservative or they want just to take the lowest possible risk with that portfolio, we have a feature, you know, calculate minimum risk portfolio or minimum variance portfolio, which gives you that weights combination, which gives that minimum risk portfolio. This is a suggested portfolio, is it? It's not suggestion. It's the, theoretically, is, again, theoretically, mathematically, is the one which has the lowest risk on the x-axis. So the leftmost on the diagram. And to make a parenthesis, that diagram is not our innovation. Again, comes from Harry Markowitz. He figured out that if you plot on a two-dimensional space 
all the potential risk-return combination, you get the sort of shape in the diagram. And the leftmost is the lowest risk. Another feature is to calculate the optimal portfolio. We discussed about 60-40. Again, you may not have bonds. You may have just securities or securities and crypto or crypto and cash and property or whatever combination. There is mathematical, again, a combination which will give you the highest possible return for the lowest possible risk. And it's really an optimization problem behind. You have these two functions and you, you know, maximize one, minimize the other, so, and you get that point. And so we calculate that. And the fourth option, which is a feature which is probably, again, very interesting for many people who know about efficient frontier is to be able, again, for your set of securities and the weights which you provided or calculated using the previous features, you can sort of drive across the efficient frontier and pick one point. So I say, well, say from this X percent risk, it's 10% risk to 30% risk, I can have all these positions and I'm happy with this position here, which gives me, let's say, 25% risk and 40% return. I'm just an example. And you can go, you know, again, click and it will give you that combination, which gives you that particular position. And as I mentioned earlier, nobody can do that by hand. And this is why we had to come up with technology to do all these calculations behind millions of calculations, really. I love the sound of the efficient frontier. Have you got a link to something that will explain that for listeners? Uh, yes, actually, on our diagram and on the website as well. But on the diagram, all these uh, things that I mentioned, portfolio risk, beta, alpha, everything there has like an icon where people can click and get more information about what it means and how it's calculated. Okay. I love the idea of the efficient frontier in investing. Yeah, well, again, Harry Markowitz came up with that. <laughs> and again, uh, we don't recommend any, any of those. It's a way of knowing what options you have for your portfolio and just go where you want. If you are happy to stay in your position or if you want to take a lower risk, higher risk, up to you. It's to help you calculate. I guess it's the information that you'd like to have to inform your decisions going forward based on data rather than just some sort of idea you might have in your head or what a financial advisor's told you because um, most of the time they're just going to put you into a bucket of a traditional asset allocation that maybe doesn't have the correlation that um, you're looking after. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. (laughs) But on the other side, there are financial advisors and we have users who are financial advisors and use it to help their clients. Again, we don't try to replace anyone. They are doing the thinking and they probably, you know, use the tool as a way to visualizing what they explain to the user and show them why that could be a particularly good, you know, composition for their you know, circumstances. And provide the data by way of backup. Yes, by backup or investigate options. Again, it could be that way as well. So where can listeners find more about Diversiview? So Diversiview.online is the website. We also have a a blog on our Lancel website where we publish regularly different, you know, articles about, we have a YouTube channel where we try to explain some concepts and how we do things. And as I mentioned earlier, we wrote a research article recently looking at the top 20 share site kind of user investors preferences. We wrote an article some time ago, something similar. We try to kind of regularly look at some of this data, which is public out there on their websites or by collaborating with these uh, sort of partners of ours, but trying to to do a bit of research and show people what's really behind what they see. And the reason for that was really that I saw in December that all recommendations on media about, you know, next year was top 10 best 
stocks to invest, top 15 something. Oh, they always do that, don't they? <laughs> yes. So I found maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 websites from, you know, prestigious, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't give names, but what I try to do in that article is to look at two of them, two of those recommendations from the risk return perspective, not just return, like being the best, but what risks you take. And it was really interesting to see that sometimes they were recommending stocks which were very volatile for a very low return. So how can you make such a recommendation? So again, coming back to users, they should maybe pay attention to what they read in the media and actually do their own homework. But coming back to Diversity and where they can find more of these articles and subscribing to our newsletter, they'll receive you know, all these materials and articles and insights to help them you know, make better decisions because that's our, our aim. It started with my own interest to, to make better decisions or better informed decisions with data. And now we can help more people. So we'll put all those links in the episode notes and the blog post so listeners can find that. So Dr. Laura Rusu, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Phil. It was a very interesting discussion. And I hope, you know, if people have more questions, they can maybe forward to you and happy to answer anytime. And as a special deal for listeners of this podcast, use the promo code SFB2022, which offers 25% off the price of unlimited Engager ad hoc analyses of your portfolio or 25% off a monthly subscription that will last for 12 months. That's SFB 2022. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.